this is the podcast Going Beyond Salvation, and I'm your host, Jess Robinson, and uh, this is an Old Testament version of the podcast, and we're uh, finishing up the book of Ezra, and we're going to talk about Nehemiah a little bit, and just some of the things that stood out, and and then we're going to kind of talk about the first chapter of Esther, and essentially... You know, with Ezra, what ended up happening at the end of Ezra is it's realized that there's, you know, the people confess their sins of intermarriage. Because the thing that was going on is you have to look at the time period that this is happening. You know, the the Israelites were allowed to return back into Israel and the temple, you know, the book of Ezra, this is about the temple being rebuilt and then Nehemiah, it's a wall being rebuilt. Um, But it kind of all corresponds in this time, in this age with Ezra and uh, Nehemiah as well. They kind of all intermingle and we see even in Nehemiah, there's the talk about the intermarriage as well. And what it is, is that, you know, there was people that were in, you know, Israelites who were marrying non-Jews and, and having children. And essentially this was making them freak out because at the time, you know, it was making them really scared at the time because like Ezra and Nehemiah, because and even not Nehemiah makes a remark that King Solomon was, you know, he was a great king, but he was ensnared by foreign women. And so, you know, this is after they, you know, had been deported and now they're back and they have learned after all these years that they're not going to go, you know, serve other idols. They're not going to, you know, intermarry again. Like they did not want to go through what, what they did before. And, you know, as, as believers, you know, it's kind of a spiritual parallel in our life that when we walk away from sin, whatever, you know, we walk away from, we shouldn't even welcome that back into our life. We shouldn't even wink at it. We need to just totally keep ourselves away from that. Now you're going to see you know, at the end of this, you know, and even in the minor prophets, when we get towards the end of the minor prophets, like Haggai and Zechariah, because those were uh, prophets, and even Malachi, those were prophets that happened to be in, you know, this time period of Ezra and Nehemiah. And Malachi was actually the last prophet to to hear God. And then there's this time period where the Jews did not hear from God. There was no prophecies. And that is when we start seeing like the Pharisees and the Sadducees rise up. And and even though they didn't, you know, go back to idolatry, what ended up happening sadly as they went towards uh traditions of men it it became religion instead of relationship with the lord and they were actually turning traditions of you know like the pharisees it was more traditions that they were you know making it as equal to god and it was like and and so you know as believers we can actually actually fall along that line as well where 
things just become, you know, our relationship with the Lord just becomes religion. It becomes dead where, you know, having a relationship with the Lord is, you know, it's just this full out blown relationship, you know, and our lives are changed. You know, we live a changed life because of, of what God and what Jesus has done for us. You know, it's not that we do it for our salvation. It's because of what they have already done for us. And, you know, what, what Jesus did for us on the cross. So Nehemiah, you know, at the end, you know, there's the end of Ezra where they confess their sin, you know. And then we get to Nehemiah. And see, Nehemiah, it's actually interesting. I, I got to, you know, preach my first sermon. And of, of all things, you know, the Lord highlights Nehemiah chapter 4 for me you know, to preach on for my first sermon. But what's so great about Nehemiah is Nehemiah, you know, he he was close to King Artaxerxes. And we can see already in his life, like, he already had kind of an impact with King Artaxerxes because when Nehemiah hears about the walls of, of you know, Jerusalem, and it makes him grieve that even King Artaxerxes knows that there's something not right with Nehemiah, which... And that's the thing, you know, when you, you know, especially, you know, people will notice, like if you are working, you know, hard for the Lord or, you know, even in your own job, when you are working diligently and you have this attitude, like a good, good attitude and they, you know, people will notice when there's something off and, and we see this with Nehemiah that, Artaxerxes noticed, hmm, and he already had favor with Artaxerxes, we can see, and, and, and Artaxerxes ends up asking Nehemiah, you know, what, what can we do for you? You know, what's going on? And, and Nehemiah tells him what's on his heart. And when he's asked what, what his request is, he asked to go back to Judah to rebuild this wall and that he promises to come back. It wasn't like he wanted to be gone forever. He wanted to come back and be in the service of, of King Artaxerxes. And so King Artaxerxes gives him permission to go and build the wall which this is key because so Nehemiah goes, you know, and he inspects Jerusalem's walls. He doesn't tell anyone. They just know that he's arrived as a governor with full authority of the Persian empire behind him. But however, we notice he doesn't do anything for three days. He tells no one of his God given plans I think he was waiting on God. He wasn't rushing ahead by trusting in his own strength. He was making a cautious survey of what what was what had happened to the walls and he was counting the cost of what it needed what needed to be done. And he didn't criticize the people for their problems and sorrows. He wanted to see these problems from their own view viewpoint. So he didn't say anything until he could understand the situation. And I think as believers, we need to do that. We need to survey a situation before we jump. Now there's times that the Holy Spirit will make us jump on stuff. But sometimes we need to, to sit back and let and, and survey the situation. And we see then he starts, 
They start building the wall, and he comes across opposition from Sam Ballot and Tobiah. And um, we just see that, you know, the, this building is starting to take on. You know, the Jews are, are working on it. He's, like, telling Sam Ballot and them, you have no... You have no share in this wall. This is God's wall, not yours. And we find out, you know, Sam Ballot and Tobiah are not very good people. And we see, like, even chapter 4, the, you know, the one that I first preached on, you know, first my first sermon is based on is, you know, when we come across opposition. And we see that they come across opposition, which, you know, as a believer, you know, when when you're walking with God... You know, you're, you know, walking with God, really deepening your relationship with him. When you are doing things that he has called you to do, you're going to come across opposition. I mean, we live in a world that lives opposite from God. And so there's going to be that friction that's going to happen at some point. You know, it's, and it, you know, it can be people, you know, here in Nehemiah chapter four, it was people that were opposing him. You know, for us, it could be people opposing us. Sometimes it's an illness. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's addictions that come up. You know, just little things. It's because we deal with a deeper enemy and that is Satan. You know, he, you know, he's a, he's the one behind all these things because his focus is he, you know, he realizes he doesn't have any time left. He's losing time that he doesn't have anymore. Yeah, we're getting closer to, you know, every day that passes, you know, we're getting closer to Jesus coming back. And because of that, he's going to do whatever he can in a believer's life to distract them from what they are supposed to be doing. He'll try to distract us from our prayer time. He'll try to distract us from, you know, putting together a youth group lesson. You know, when I was putting this sermon together, it got to the point I had to actually silence my phone like I I had to put no interruptions I didn't care who it was I had no interruptions period because every time I went to go work on a sermon or lately every time I go to work on a youth group lesson I always end up with a phone call and I'm just like at this point I just ignore it I'm gonna call this person back later even with my prayer time I will ignore phone calls now because it's like, this is the enemy trying to keep me from having my prayer time. And then when I get done, I feel like I have to rush through prayer, you know, and it's just like, no, we're, and that's how the enemy is. You know, he, he strategically looks for, for weak points in our own lives to try to distract us from what God wants us to do from our relationship with God. And we see that here in this story, you know, there's Sam Ballot and Tobiah. And the first thing they do is they mock. They mock at him because here's the thing about it. They, they couldn't legally kill Nehemiah and the Jews because they had been given full authority from the Persian Empire. And that's the, how it is. There's a spiritual parallel with us believers, because we have been, you know, given authority through Jesus, you know, to do his work, to do the work of the kingdom of heaven, to go pray, to share the gospel. And you have Satan that 
what he'll do is he'll just try to intimidate you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, and there's different, you know, techniques. There's, you know, fear. We see that there's intimidation. In chapter four, there's also even more intimidation in the second attack, you know, and even with the third attack, it was, okay, we're going to attack you. We are going to physically attack you. You know, when you are weak, when you are tired, and that's how the enemy is. There's different, you know, with Satan, he will figure out what he wants to do. You know, sometimes it's, it's actually, you know, struggles within your marriage, struggles within your family, division within your family, you know, and, or, you know, attacks on your identity, attacks, you know, in your own workplace. That's just how the enemy works. It's just different things. There's just no blanket approach that he comes with. However, we see with Nehemiah how he responds to opposition. The first thing he does is pray. He goes into prayer and, you know, he gives it all to God because he knows that it's God that will fight the battle. And he asks God to fight the battle for him. You know, he realizes he has a job to do. He doesn't have time to fight. He's got to focus on this job. So he gives it to God. And it seems like his prayer is tough. But, you know, as we have kind of seen in Psalms, in our Psalms podcast, that, you know, there's just sometimes, you know, some of these prayers in Psalms have not been very nice either. (laughs) But it's more that, you know, when we are dealing with conflict, you know, we can go to prayer and it's not that we're praying evil upon the person. We're giving them over to a good and just God who, uh, who ends up, you know, knowing what these people need to do. And we see the result of his prayer. And actually another thing I wanted to point out in his prayer is we don't see him praying going, God, get me out of here. God, you know, find me a different place you know, to go, go serve you. No, he doesn't pray that. He realizes I have a mission here and I got to get it done, you know? So, and, and the result of it is God gives him a, you know, the will to work, you know, and it, this rebuilding goes with greater intensity. And, and we notice though, it doesn't even affect the enemies. You know, God took care of his people. And sometimes we can miss that in our own prayer life. You know, we pray that God would change this person and, oh, change my spouse, change, you know, my my fa- my parents, change my grandparents, you know, change them, you know, go after these people, go after my evil boss that is so mean. And sometimes God wants to do a work in you instead and sometimes we miss out on that because we resist it. You know, we were um, watching the case for Christ last night and uh, we were sitting there watching that. And it was in that point, you know, where he, where Lee Strobel walks up to the hospital room realizing that a guy that he had written an article about being, you know, a, a cop shooter got beat up in jail or in prison, and he ends up, 
you know, saying, I'm sorry, you know, because he realized he had made a mistake um, when writing this article. And the guy says to him, you didn't want to see the truth. And sometimes that's the way with us believers is we don't want to see the truth in the situation of how God wants to work in our lives and in our situation. So we see this happening and we see that it doesn't affect the enemies because they're going to try. And even throughout Nehemiah, they are still doing what they can to, to hinder Nehemiah and, and the Jews, you know, and, but every single time we see Nehemiah, he just kind of, he ignores them, continues to do what God wants him to do. And, and he gives them over to God going, you deal with them. And that's what's so great about Nehemiah is that it just doesn't even face him. Like even later on, he, when they're trying to blackmail him in a way, he's just like, oh, you're just making that kind of stuff up. I've got work to do. Leave me alone. And it was just, it's, you know, the emphasis of my own, but it's just like, it was so, you know, funny just to read that after so many times that I've read it before in the largest, it was just kind of funny. But we see in chapter four as well that, you know, when it came to the second attack, you know, when they're saying, oh, you know, we're going to attack you, but they don't, they just say it, but they don't. What we notice though is Nehemiah, once again, he prays and then this time he sets a watch. And as believers, there's times where more, you know, prayer's just not enough. Not saying that prayer isn't, you know, enough. Prayer is huge. Prayer is so important in our lives. But there's sometimes, you know, in our particular lives, there's certain things that we have to pay attention to. That we have to pray, but we also have to have accountability. You know, you notice people that have alcohol or, you know, getting away from alcohol addictions, drug addictions, even pornography addictions. If you notice, a lot of times they tell them you need to have people who are going to hold you accountable to make sure that you stay clean. And even as Christians, it doesn't have to be, you know, these addictions that, that hold us accountable or that we need to find accountability may it may be a spending problem it may be you know a a gossip problem sometimes we have to have somebody there to hold us accountable when when we're struggling and so and we see you know in the fi- this final attack that kind of happens in chapter 4 they're going to attack and it comes at a time when they were weak and they were tired. They were discouraged. Sometimes that will happen, but we notice that God is so good in this situation. He lets them know of this attack. And what happens is, you know, Nehemiah does not ignore the situation. He ends up doing, you know, I believe he, he prayed, I believe, but also what he did is he had, he tells them to get out the armor and get ready to fight. We're called in the same way to put on the armor of God and to fight when, when we come into these situations, these attacks from the enemy. Uh, he, he reminds them, 
you know, who the Lord is. He, he puts their mind frame on God and not on the situation. And that's how it is with us. We need to put our mind, when we're experiencing an attack from the enemy, that we're to put our mind and our focus on God, because that's going to make whatever we're facing smaller. When we make our God bigger, our problems become smaller. And he tells them to fight. He tells them to fight, not just for themselves. He reminds them who they're fighting for. They're fighting for their wives, their brothers, their sisters. And that's the thing about it is, you know, as Christians, we think it's just about us sometimes. And it's like, no, you know, as believers, we have people in our sphere of influence that do not know Jesus and us just walking away from God, walking away from the fight, being defeated by the enemy, it not only affects us, it affects the people that we could have reached. You know, there's so much at stake, especially in these days. In these final days, you know, with all the riots, COVID-19, all of that, we're, we are in the final race here. There is a lot at stake at this point. So, you know, and so that's what they do. And once they put up the guard and the armor and all of that, we see that the enemy, these guys shrink back. They're like, nope, we're not going to do it. Um, and they return, you know, the, the work on the wall continues. And you think that just because the, the victory is, oh, they, they shrunk back. No, because we're going to, you know, we see in the rest of Nehemiah, there's all these different things that still rise up. You know, all these things that Nehemiah has to take care of with the, with the people, you know, with the poor, the, even with the intermarriage and all these different little reforms that happen even afterwards. But what it was, the real victory was the work on the wall continued. And sometimes we actually think our victory is just getting through the storm and, you know, conquering over this attack of the enemy, but not really. You know, a lot of times the victory is continuing to do the work of the Lord, walking in the Lord. And, you know, the storm that we went through is God working in us. You know, the enemy is trying to keep the progress of God's work in our lives hindered. And our real victory is when we continue in that walk. So, you know, that was essentially with, and we also see, you know, that they continue to continue to put on that. They don't take off their weapons. They continue to stand on the defense. And that's how it is in our Christian life. We can kind of be lulled into this, you know, comfort zone that everything's all good and rosy and we don't need to pray. We don't need to be in our word. We don't need to be on our guard. Sorry, we still have to be on our guard because, you know, even with Jesus, I mean, Jesus had his temptation with Satan, but there's other times that you know, he faced opposition over and over and over again. And he was always on, you know, on top of things in a way is, is how I would say it. And so, 
So we just see that, you know, with, with the book of Nehemiah, I just really, that was what I really wanted to point out in the book of Nehemiah is when we face opposition to continue to stand. So, you know, and he has these final reforms that he goes through, you know, the wall gets done, you know, and all of that. And there's just this kind of a time of, of dedication to the Lord, recommitment, but you know, that was just something that the Lord wanted me to highlight on this podcast, even though I thought it was done and over with after I did my sermon. So then, you know, we get to Esther chapter one. Now, Esther, the way history has it is Esther was in her position, Queen Esther, and she goes by other names if because people are like, well, that doesn't show up on Google. She does go by other names. And if I remember right, she go, it's a different name, that a Persian name that she has as well. Um, but it was in the time of Xerxes. And, you know, in this time, you know, this was before Ezra's second trip that happened um it was about 21 years before Ezra led a second group well it's not a second troop but it was a second group of exiles to Jerusalem so this was kind of in that time period and so we have Xerxes and this is an interesting chapter because there's just all this stuff that's going on you know and I actually you know was participated in an Esther Bible study and it was so interesting but one of the things that you know you look and he's having this huge party and just kind of it kind of sets up the story but he has this party and from what I understand this party was happening to rally people this was about the time when he was when Xerxes was going to go invade Greece, if I remember right. So there's a lot of, and we, when we read the Bible, we kind of like read it as this all happened at once. And there's going to be certain things that it's like, no, this is a time period. Um, you know, like when Esther, you know, it hasn't been called back. We, when we find out later, when she has not been called back to the king after so many days, they actually predict that this was like I think five years that they'd been married so there there was like a time or just like you know I was taking a class and people think you know when you're reading the bible it's like there's Malachi then you go the book of Malachi the prophet and then you jump to the book of Matthew and you go oh there was you know that was really quick you think in our mind it's kind of a quick transition but you have to think about it that there was 400 years that happened between Malachi to the time that Jesus shows up. So, you know, this is all setting up this story. And what ends up happening is we see this thing with Queen Vashti. You know, she she had this banquet going on. And King Xerxes, you know, wants Vashti to come in. Now, there's different theories out there. Because she rejects his request. Now, there are different theories out there. I mean, there is a whole, like, you can get a whole Bible study debating about why she rejected him. 
Like some believe that she was he he was gonna parade her around naked with just her crown on, and she was like, no. There's some that like some Jewish tradition that believes that she was stricken with a disease from the from an angel. There I had kind of a theory because I was looking and going, oh, Queen Vashti was actually a Somewhere along the line, she's a grandchild of Nebuchadnezzar, who was Babylon. This is Persian. Persian Empire defeated Babylon. And I thought, oh, you know, it was just kind of an in-your-face. You know, she's this granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. We conquered. And, you know, I'm I'm over her. That was kind of my theory at one point. But that kind of changed because I ended up doing kind of research into what other historians say. Um, there's not a lot said by a lot of historians, but there's one from uh, Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, and he has this really long book, but he gives his whole kind of meaning in there, which it kind of made sense after reading it, but what it was, he says that there was a tradition in the Persian Empire that the the queen, the women, could not come in when it was like there was men who were from different countries, like they couldn't come in, is essentially what was the whole deal. So she had denied, you know, rejected, you know, King Xerxes saying, no, I'm not supposed to be in front of these foreign people, essentially. But, and so essentially she disobeyed him. And it's kind of one of those things that, but, you know, the biggest answer that I can say was, this is God setting up for Esther to get in here. Because, you know, we're going to read that there there's this huge plot for the Jews to annihilate and be annihilated. And and what's so interesting about the book of Esther is you will not see the word, one word of, of God in here. You will not see his name show up at all, especially if you're a brand new believer. And most people go, well, why is it even in the Bible? It's like God's paw prints is all over this story. And it starts with this first chapter. Because we're going to see that his paw prints, his handprints are all over every single thing that happens and in this story. And so, you know, that's essentially kind of a setup for the book of Esther. And that's kind of it for today that we're going to, to do for the Old Testament podcast. So for the next Old Testament podcast that we're doing, we're going to continue and starting in Esther chapter 2 and finishing through Esther chapter, or through the book of Esther, and then we're going to start the book of Job, um, starting in chapter 1 and going through chapter 13, uh, because it's more in a poetry form, so, and i uh, just going to warn you, it's kind of different from the rest of the Bible. Bible and so and it may be hard to read because it may seem a little depressing 
And so this is going to be interesting to explain the book of Job. And I will have to kind of get all freshened up like on that, like how how it's all spoken. But it's it's an old, considered a po form of poetry is what it is. And so I just want to warn you ahead of time that it's going to be a little bit harder to read, harder to understand what is going on. And so I hope to explain it in a little bit up through chapter 13 the next time. And so uh, have a great day, you guys, and we'll see you then.